This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. I'd like to say good morning to everyone. What a beautiful song selection we had this morning. and We have visitors this morning. It's so good to see you here. Appreciate Brother Kalen's opening remarks. Um, got up several times during the night. And uh, I'm so excited to be able to be inside. Looking out, watching it rain and for once instead of having to work in it. And the, it, was, it was really beautiful to watch and experience. Uh, I love climate change. I'm a big believer in climate change. I'm thankful to live in a part of the country where we get to experience those four climate changes every year. And uh, it's pretty exciting. Um, as most of you know, I spend the majority of my time sitting in the truck and uh, I listen to uh, a lot of Christian radio and so a lot of my messages come from inspiration from something I hear driving down the road that either pricks my heart and uh, causes me to to think about it or or leads to a thought process that uh, that gets me thinking about something but uh, usually uh, it comes from something that pricks my heart and uh, I just can't stop thinking about it um, and I have a notepad and I get to a stop sign or something and uh, I've been saying it over and over and over for 30 miles and uh, when I get to a stop sign or a stoplight, I'll, I'll jot that note down or that verse or, or that thought down. And so I've got all these notes and everything. And then when it comes to my time to get up here, uh, the one that uh, just, I just couldn't shake that thought. And it just kept sticking with me, kept dwelling. And it just really bloomed in my heart. That's what I share. And uh, I try to share from my heart. And that's what I want to do this morning. And uh, it was something that I heard... Uh, just this past week, uh, 6.30 in the morning on uh, Family Talk with James Dobson, Dr. James Dobson. And he just said something in that, uh, in that conversation for 30 minutes that uh, I don't even remember what they were talking about for sure, but he said the phrase, uh, our first love. And uh, lots of times that program talks about family and children. And so I got thinking about my children and my grandchildren. And there's just so many aspects about children and grandchildren that when we're young and we're a child, we don't even, we can't even think about it. I mean, we don't even, it's not even on our radar, but the older we get, Ran out of line. 
our thought process changes. When we're a child and we're little, all we know is to love our parents. We're completely dependent on our parents. And so it's easy to love our, our parents. And I got to thinking about our recent trip to Colorado. We, we were around all of our grandchildren. And uh, when they're young, they don't want nothing to do with anybody but their parents. And uh, it doesn't matter who you are, how nice you are, how, how coaxing you are. Um, until they get comfortable around you, all they want is their parent. And uh, it, it's so cute to try to play games with them and try to coax them away from their parents. But uh, it takes a lot of work sometimes to, to get them away, separate them from their first love. That is their parents, especially their mothers. And uh, I got to thinking, you know, uh, the devil tries to do that. He tries to coax us away and separate us from our Heavenly Father. Our first love when we become a child of God. And He tries everything. He makes a game out of it. And He's really good at it. So, that began this process that we want to look at this morning about returning to our first love, spiritually speaking. As a parent, we covet our children's love. We want our children to love us more than anybody else, more than anything else, and unconditionally. That's, that's what we want. That's our desire. We want our children to not only love us with all their heart and unconditionally, but we want them to be affectionate. We want them to be respectful. Never do anything wrong. And when, we, when they do, we want them to ask for forgiveness and certainly not ever do it again. That's a dream world, isn't it? Our Heavenly Father wants the same from us. But it's an unreasonable expectation because we're humans. And so, we have to oftentimes forgive our children, don't we? When they don't meet our expectations or they fall short of our expectations and what they've been taught and they mess up. And later on, when they get old enough and they sin. Did you ever have trouble forgiving any of your children when they've done wrong and messed up and disobeyed you or rebelled, no matter how old they are? It gets a little harder the older they get. But we always forgive our children. Our life is filled with disappointment towards our children sometimes when they mess up, as they often do. But no matter how many times they disappoint us, our love, our unconditional love, our, our, our first love for our family 
covers everything else and we forgive them and we move on and hopefully there's some training and some things that go on and I mean it, you know we don't let our children get away with without you know actions have consequences I believe is what I wanted to say actions have consequences well it's just the same way with us as adults with our Heavenly Father our actions have consequences but when we repent and we return back to the Father, He promises that He'll forgive us every time. Every time. So let's, let's begin by reading in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. And we'll try to, try to keep these thoughts uh, simple, because I, I have no choice. But uh, and we'll try to hopefully be edified and uplifted by the Word of God this morning. So Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4. Actually, we'll just we'll begin in verse 1. Revelation chapter 2 and we'll just read this opening remarks here by John. Jesus said to John, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But... But... I have this complaint against you, Jesus said. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone, who, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So we see here in verse 4 that Jesus said after He talked about their accolades and their good points, He said, but... And I'm reading out the NLT. The King James may say, nevertheless, I'm not sure. But I'm going to be reading out the NLT this morning just for simplicity, easier understanding. He said, I have somewhat against you because you've left thy first love. As parents, we long for our children to love us. And it's painful when our children get older and their affections start to shift to others or maybe other things. It's hard to let go and share that love and affection that shifts from us exclusively when they're little to other things or other people. It's very difficult. It's a natural process and God intended that the way, it that way. Jesus, God said, I'm a jealous God and He will not share our affection with anybody else. 
He said he wants our love to be more for him than anybody else in this world, our spouses, our children, or anything else. He wants it all or nothing. So, we know how we feel towards our children when their affection for us starts to diminish and it starts to increase for others. Say, their future spouse. How does our Heavenly Father feel when His children do the same thing? When we, God's children, when we let Satan come in and coax us away from Him and we drift away, how does that make Him feel? When we change our, swing our affection from on Him and we start sharing it with others, maybe idols, You know, the one thing I thought about and was reminded yesterday when my youngest son did something very sweet, um, he whispered to his mother, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to put on Dad's Ivan Parker music concert. And it'll make him happy. It did. I was not unhappy. It made me happier. I'm a big Ivan Parker fan. And so I Every now and then I'd walk through there and watch a little bit of it and everything. And I've noticed in person going to gospel concerts over the years, but also watching the Gaither homecoming videos over the years, that I'd say over 90%, maybe 95% of the general audience at these concerts is white-haired people or no-haired people. Derek, why are you laughing? Um, We, when we go, we're, we're like one of the few that bring children. And sometimes we've been with some of y'all, you brought your children, but we were a minority to have young families at these concerts. It's mostly white-haired people. And I, I just, why is that? Why is that? I don't know for sure, but I have my suspicions after I got to thinking about it, putting this sermon together, that when we're younger, we're raising a family, we're, we're busy, we're distracted. And our affection is being shared in other places. But the older we get, the more we have no choice but to bring our attention back to what is coming up. And I think that the older we get, it's just natural if we haven't already done it before and kept our attention on we start to have to deal with the fact that, hey, this hourglass is draining quick. And things that matter to me, they don't matter anymore. The spiritualness of life is all that's going to last forever. All of this stuff that I've worked so hard to accumulate and build it's, it's irrelevant. And that's so hard because we live in a great country. We have so many freedoms and the American dream is to work hard and be successful. And Satan takes that simple pro uh, principle 
and goes too far with it and, and, and leads us and strings us along and coaxes along until maybe your children, your grandchildren, you, you finally you got them and you, uh, you got them away from their parents and you're walking along and maybe you're at an aisle in a grocery store or something and they get all involved with the toy in front of them or something and you go on down the aisle, say 50 feet or whatever, and uh, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, but anyway, all of a sudden this little child who's been focused on this toy in front of them, they come back to the real world and they look around and there's no one there. And they are frantically looking, where did, where did the adult go that was with me? And they spot you way down the aisle, like miles, 50 feet, but to a little child, you're a mile down there, and they forget all about that toy, and they come flying back to you, screaming and hollering, you left me. And you pick them up and you hug them, I didn't leave you, I was just right there. I wouldn't leave you. Father never leaves us. But we walk away from Him sometimes, don't we? He never leaves us. We walk away from Him. And the older we get, and the further we allow sometimes Satan to distract us and lead us, sometimes unconsciously away from our first love, there comes a point, back to the gray hairs at the gospel meet, at the gospel concerts, they've got to the point in their life where they realize, hey, my bearing's off course. I've been distracted and it's time to get my focus and my affections back to where it matters. And they start focusing back on the spiritualness of life. Let's turn to Luke chapter, chapter 16 or just follow, listen to me if you'd like. Luke chapter 16 and verse 13. No one, Jesus is saying here, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I'm going to read this one again because this one really hit home with me. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The King James, I think, says mammon. Sixteen years ago today, the Lord answered a very often prayer I had for many years, and that was I wanted to own my own business. I did not like it working for the other man. And I hauled my first hire 16 years ago this month. And the Lord has blessed our business and blessed that business. And we've tried to be good stewards of that. But it has come to the point where it consumes my life entirely. And I never thought I'd get to the situation that I have this year that I have to turn down work. I say no. And I'm going to have to 
give some, some clients in the near future the bad news that we're no longer going to be able to service them because we just cannot continue servicing the amount of clientele we have. But it's something I've got to do. It, it, it's a blessing, but it's a curse because it has got out of control. It consumes too much of my time and takes away from the more important things that I need to be doing in my life spiritually. And I've had to realize that. It, it's not going to be easy, and it's going to take some time. But some changes have got to be made. And we have to realize that in our life. When there are things that have come in, and they continually distract us from our true love, our first love, and come between us and Him. We have to make the change. He's not going to change because He hasn't moved. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He isn't the one that changed. We have to change. He's still where He always was. His relationship with us has never changed. His love for us has never changed. And we'll get to that in a few moments. This verse made me embarrassed and ashamed when I thought about my life. With the distractions that I allow to come between me and my Heavenly Father. And I thought, I got to thinking about this. You know what? You know, the Lord expects us. He said, a man that doesn't work is worse than an infidel. That we're, we're, He teaches us we're to provide for our family and take care of our needs. It's our responsibility. And so I've been trying to do that. I, I don't know how to, I don't have a lot of smarts, so I know how to work hard. I'm little, but I can give it all I've got, and I work hard. And I've always, ha always have to provide for my family. And I got to thinking about the 12 apostles. Peter was a fisherman out working all day trying to drag in fish and provide a living for his family and a service to his community, fresh fish. And Jesus comes along and says, Hey, fella, come on, I want to talk to you. Well, I'm busy, I ain't got time. No, come on over here, I got to talk to you. How about if you start fishing for something different? There's not a lot of money in it. Long hours. But it's going to be more productive than what you're doing. And one after the other, 12 men walked away from their livelihood and started following Jesus. That amazes me. How many of you can just, could just turn around on a dime tomorrow and walk away from all the time and effort you've invested in what you are doing to provide you for your family and never give it a second thought? That's amazing to me. But you know what? The older I get, the more I can kind of start to see how that could happen. They were all at a point in their life where obviously they weren't too tied to what they were doing. 
They were willing to try something new. They didn't know him. But they got to know him, didn't they? John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus said, If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Verse 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. Jesus made that pretty clear, didn't he? If you love me, you'll do such and such. Was that easy for Jesus to say flippantly? Just off the, you know, we, you know, we heard the saying, yeah, well, that's easy for you to say, or easier said than done. John 15. 9 and 3, 9 through 13, Jesus continues with this line of teaching here to his disciples. John 15 and 9 says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend, one's friends. So Jesus is just continuing to pile on with this principle that he's teaching them here about love. And once again, we think in our human mind and human reason. Well, that's easier said than done, buddy. Practice what you preach. He did. John 3, and verse 16. That's where we find that Jesus practiced what He preached. He wasn't just asking them to do something that He wasn't willing, capable, and able to do Himself. For God so loved the world so much 
that He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. Now a lot of people get this Scripture confused with it telling us how we're to be saved. It's, it, it's not in there. It, this verse tells us why God sent His Son into the world and how much He loved us. He loved us so much that He went to the cruel cross and laid down His life for everyone. Not just the people that loved Him. Everyone. So that through His blood sacrifice, anyone who seeks repentance and seeks relationship with Him to the point of becoming one of His children, their sins are forgiven forever and ever. There's no greater love than that. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 expounds on the principle of John 3.16. Verse 8 it says, But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our, in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Jesus showed us His love. He put it on full display how much He loved us. The question this morning is, how am I showing my Heavenly Father my great love? He showed me His. How am I showing Him mine in my life? You know, Israel turned its back on God in just one generation. The church in Ephesus started out doing everything right. And yet they were called to repentance because they had forsaken their first love. How did that happen? How did Israel in one generation turn their back on God? How did the church at Ephesus, the Ephesian brothers and sisters there, how did they start out doing so well as he attributed to them in Revelations in our opening reading and then get off track so quickly and so easily. How'd that happen? Did they start focusing on the battle of life instead of Jesus? It is easy to get so caught up in battling sin and Satan that we forget about our love for the Father. Our duties and responsibilities can slowly replace love. Hard work can sidetrack us from the real reason for living. That being loving Jesus. 
The first commandment of the Ten Commandments to Israel was, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. In Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 through 40. says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, talking about Jesus, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The key words in Jesus' response is all. All caps. All. All our heart, all our soul, and all of our mind. How do we do that? I've got responsibilities. I've got work to do. It's while we do our daily life. He doesn't expect us to stop providing for our family. He does not expect us to stop raising our children in the nurture and admission of the Lord. He does not expect us to do the responsibilities that come with being a human on this planet and raising a family. But those three things have to be constantly the motivation behind whatever we do. Whatever we do, do it as unto the Lord, He says. And it's so easy to forget that. When we're out in the workplace working with others, are we being the hands and feet of Jesus? Even if it's just the things we say. An encouraging word. A scripture shared here and there uh, with encouragement. There's so many ways that we can share the love of the Father with those around us. And we're expected to love our neighbor as ourself. Our neighbor is anyone that we come in contact with. It's so easy to just be selfish and not want to share. Or take the time to share. I was reminded of a saying I heard one time. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. This reminded me of Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 26. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up the pace and I'm going to read this account here very quickly, but it's a beautiful 
account. Because there's a world of difference between religion and Christianity, isn't there? Acts chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hands, started his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know you are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now, please listen to me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now, I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the twelve tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they share the same hope I have. Yet, your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. One day, I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priest. About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord? I asked, and the Lord replied, I am Jesus the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time so I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead and in this way announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Suddenly Festus shouted, Paul, you're insane! Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are all familiar, familiar to him, for they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? 
Paul replied, Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. Then the king, the governor, Bernice, and all the others stood and left. As they went out, they talked it over and agreed this man had done anything to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, He could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. What a beautiful account of what God can do in the vilest person's life. And the difference, the contrast between religion and Christianity, a relationship with Jesus. And when our heart is turned toward God. We have the book of Ephesians because of the Apostle Paul's work. So, Paul went from being a nightmare to the followers of Jesus Christ to a beloved and much-loved brother. Why? How? His heart was made new and filled with love instead of hate. He simply fell in love with Jesus. Jesus became his first love. Not religion. As parents, we love it when our children show us how much they love us with acts of love and affection. How much love and affection do we show our Heavenly Father? How about our neighbors, friends, family, and co-workers? Just like the believers in Ephesus, as soon as we take our focus off of Jesus and His love for us, our love for Him and others begins to grow cold. Our focus falls on other things which can become more important to us. It's human nature. We're born that way. Just think how quickly a little child loses interest in a new toy or how quickly our interests can change as adults. I don't know how many times we bought one of our children a very special toy. I mean, my wife put a lot of thought and effort into this one particular thing. I think it was a doll and just was so excited. I don't I mean, she was more excited about the child opening the gift than the became very quickly than the child was over the gift because the child opened the present, took the gift that was inside, laid it to the side, and played for hours with the wrapper in the box. <laughs> oh, how quickly our interest can change. The Apostle Paul spent around three years preaching and spreading the gospel and love of Christ here in Ephesus. Others went there after him and continued the work he started there. The church in Ephesus started out with a great love. Started out with a great love for Jesus. And then it began to drift away. And God had John write them a letter telling them to repent and return to their first love. Okay, so that was Ephesus back then, a couple thousand years ago. What about the church in America today? Has the true church in America lost its first love? I think an argument can be made by looking around us today that it's highly possible. Highly possible. 
at one time the United States, and it may still be so barely, but it's the most giving group of folks ever in the history of the world. Very benevolent. But I, I think that that is quickly changing. It appears. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Very familiar. Very familiar reading here in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 19. It says... Deuteronomy 8.19 says, But I assure you of this, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, worshiping and bowing down to them, you will certainly be destroyed. Just as the Lord has destroyed other nations in your path, you also will be destroyed if you refuse to obey the Lord your God. So they were warned. Children of Israel were warned. Second Corinthians is Second Chronicles chapter seven. Sometime later. Second Chronicles chapter seven. God told Solomon what would happen if after they forgot the Lord they repented and came back to the first love. So verse 14 it says, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, go back to their first love, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. So, is it ever too late? Is it ever too late to get back to a right relationship with our Father and to go back to our first love? No, it's never too late. The sooner the better. When our children disobey us or even rebel, it has consequences, doesn't it? We talked about that. What happens when they're sorry? And we can tell. We're, parents are not duped. I think a lot of times as children we think we can dupe our parents but not so much as we think probably. We know, we can look into the heart and soul of our child through their eyes and we can see if they're truly sorry and repentant for what they did wrong. We can tell. The church in Ephesus were doing a lot of things right. However, their love for God and others had changed. Did they lose their compassion for the lost? I can see how easily that could happen, especially in the society we live in today. Oh, how hard it is to be compassionate the way things have turned in this country. And oh, how easy our hearts can become hard with pride and self-righteousness if we are not careful. At least I find it so. The love of Jesus and the love of others is the heart of the gospel. They forgot what the Apostle Paul had taught them in his letter. 
in Ephesians chapter 2. What did he teach them about love in Ephesians chapter 2 and so many other places in Ephesians that we're not going to read today? In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning verse 1, the Apostle Paul told the Ephesians, he said, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the Spirit. at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For He raised us from the dead long, along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us as shown in all He has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saves you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. We don't have anything to be proud and boastful about. Except... what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's it. Every, everything I have, it is worthless. It means nothing compared to my love for the Father. But oh, how we cling to things that are so silly. Our possessions, etc., I know from past experience that when I consciously and intentionally love the Lord with all my heart, soul, and mind as instructed, and love the people around me as much as I love myself, that temptation and the sin that often follows and the cares of this world are hardly a thing. The Lord promised us that if we will draw nigh to Him, that He will draw nigh to us. He also said that if we would resist Satan that he would flee from us. How do we resist Satan so that he flees from us? He ain't scared of us. We rebuke him in the name of Jesus. He hates the name of Jesus. So, how powerful is love? How powerful is love? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, First Corinthians chapter 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, 
but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. Love is the greatest because God is love. And there's nothing more powerful than, than God. And He is love. So in closing, a question. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? In Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love, it says? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or even threatened with death? As the Scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons. Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the unanswered question this morning is, what are you and I? What are you and I willing to allow to separate Christ from our love. I appreciate your kind attention this morning and I hope and pray that the, the things we looked at this morning were beneficial to you and helpful in some way. Encouraging. Um, maybe refocusing like it was for me. It's never too soon to refocus our affection and our love back on the Father and keep Him bullseye dead center every day of our life. If you're
not in the family of God. That was the first thing that Saul of Tarsus had to do. to get right with God and to get on the path and get back in right standing with the Heavenly Father was he was told to be baptized into Christ. For the remission of his sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and to inherit eternal life in the name of Jesus. And he did. And taught that to thousands of people. That invitation still stands this morning. It's still valid and will be until Christ comes back. Or if you're a child of God and you just find yourself not in a right relationship with the Heavenly Father and your love has grown cold and you just need some encouragement or prayers on your behalf, one or more, please come forward as we stand and sing the song of dismissal. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.